Oh, God bless you. God bless you. We are, with the help of the Lord, beginning our look at fullness. Fullness today. Um, the name of this first message is a strange one. It says, I went out full, I came home empty. We'll explain that in just a moment. But before we get into the dynamics of today's message, I want to introduce you to the scripture that will be surfacing all through the year. Now, you guys know the way we do it. We have a theme for each year, but that doesn't mean that's the only thing we'll talk about during the coming year. But it does mean that it will be a recurring topic uh, throughout the season as we talk about fullness. Um, it's based on John 1.16. And I want to read it to you from uh, Mounts' reverse interlinear, which is a very literal rendering of the Greek. Uh, in John 1.16, these several translations are in your notes. For from his fullness, we have all received one gracious gift after another. Grace upon grace, one gracious gift after another. The New Life Translation puts it this way. Because of Jesus, we have received one loving favor after another. Now you've got to understand, this was the way John summarized the life of Jesus, beginning his gospel. Um, the same passage where he said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same passage where he said, you know, he came into his own, his own received him not, but as many as did receive him to them, he gave the power to become the sons of God. Uh, in the same passage where he said, we beheld him full of grace and truth. We beheld his glory. He also says this, in his life, he has given us one grace after another. John chapter one is probably, if there's a chapter that is inexhaustible almost in its preaching, it would be John chapter 1. Um, Philip's translation reads like this, <coughs> excuse me, indeed every one of us has shared in his riches. There is a grace in our lives because of his grace. Now I'm not a fan of the Amplified Bible. I mean I don't dislike the Amplified Bible. It just is difficult to read. It's, it's um, it's like having a bad cough and you're trying to finish a sentence. You keep interrupting yourself. Um, the Amplified Bible serves a good purpose, but I, I just don't like using it to preach from. It's, it's kind of choppy and awkward. But every once in a while, the Amplified Bible just produces something powerfully uh, eloquent. And I think that's the case in this verse. Listen to this. For out of his fullness or abundance... We have all received, that is, we've all had a share, and we were all supplied with one grace after another, and spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, and even favor upon favor, and gift heaped upon gift. Now, that's what the Christian life is like. Now, I, I need to say this. This deserves a whole sermon, and I thought I was, this was going to be the the core of the sermon when I gave the outline to the uh, workers in the office. So I'm not sure how much this outline will help you today because I want to go in kind of a different direction. First of all, I want you to understand um, moving to fullness, you cannot get there taking the highway of criticism. 
Um, the, the, the number one reason, when I talk to pastors, the number one reason of dis, for discouragement and them moving down the line from fullness, emptiness to fullness, is because the critics that are in the church, and when they begin to make progress, they say there's always somebody that will say, well, I knew this all along. And, and it's, it's very hurtful to some of these pastors. Well, I've been praying for you to finally see this, you know. So what I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is if you are trying to get a full cup through the road of criticism, I want you to know you're drinking from a colander. You're, you're not going to get full. You're not going to stay full. And the pointing of the finger is not going to help anybody. In fact, I know of more churches that have gone backwards because of, I knew that, I told you so, than have ever been set back for other reasons. You see the chart. Some of us are like the cup on your left. We have very little in our cup, but praise God, we've got a cup. I mean, praise God, we're born again. Praise God, we're born again. And we are sanctified. We, we've talked about this. In fact, we'll talk more about it. We are, we are sanctified immediately when we become a Christian. We're brand new creatures. We're ready for heaven immediately. We are totally sanctified the moment we're saved in the sense of our standing. But in the sense of our behavior, we are being filled. It's a work in progress. So this year, we want to focus on the process of moving from the empty glass to the full and even overflowing glass. But the reason very few of us have ever known somebody with a full glass is because we have inadvertently put the emphasis on our works. I'll get my cup full. My prayers, my faith, my declarations will get my cup full. And you can, you know, it'll work, but it's sludge you're filling it with. We want the living water of the Spirit. So I want to tell you, if you're going to get from point A to point whatever it is, um, Z, I guess, you are going to do it on your knees in humility. And you are going to realize that I am the problem, not you. You know, or not you, or you, or you. Um, Isaiah talked about that. It, when the, the nation of Israel was being called to fasting and to diligent works, the Lord said, this is the fast I have chosen. Stop pointing your finger. That's, that carries more weight than a lot of things that we think are spiritual. So that's the first, that, I, that was my whole sermon earlier uh, with a lot of elaboration on it. But I want to move away from that. And um, I, I want to talk about this about fullness. I want you to understand that it is a process. Every time you see this, you'll remember this is a process we're after. But you will also remember that it is a pursuit that I am involved in. But it's not the kind of pursuit where I can do this two or three weeks and then I've attained you, you may reach fullness at, a, at this point or that point or that point or that point. I, it's not likely that we'll reach fullness at the same time. Our goal is for all of us to get there. But you've got to understand that once you reach a point that you think you've achieved fullness, you've got to understand that you then have to focus on staying full and you have to focus on maintaining you say, what, I mean, what is there to maintain? Well, some of our cups have holes in them. Yeah. 
Uh, some of us, like I said, are drinking from a colander. And we've known moments of being full, but you got six angels pouring five-gallon buckets into you because it's just, it just, we haven't rebuilt the walls as Nehemiah described. So uh, it's like that barrel that we showed you last year. When you have a half a barrel that you're trying to fill up, you can only get as full as the lowest slat in the barrel. And so God helps us to understand that fullness is not only getting full of something, but it's preparing the vessel to hold it. Okay. I think we understand that. Um, let's, let's ask the question today. I, in fact, today we're going to ask you to ask some questions and we're not going to ask for any outward response. Um, not because I, I don't want you to respond, but it's so personal and I don't think church ought to ever be about embarrassing people. Um, you know, well, Pastor, you talk about Jesus. Jesus likes to humiliate people. No, Jesus doesn't mind humbling people, but he doesn't humiliate people unless they've turned their heart against him and are just walking in rebellion like the Pharisees. Jesus is not into humiliation, but he is into humility. And there is a huge difference. It's, somebody put it this way. It doesn't sound very theological, but it's very true. He said, it's the difference between laughing with someone and laughing at someone. None of us mind laughing together, even if we are the cause of the humor. But we don't ever like being laughed at. And, and Jesus understands that. That's why when he spoke to the churches in Revelation, are you guys with me okay here? I'm, I'm so full. Um, that's the dangerous thing about the first of the year. It always comes right after Christmas where I've had to sit still and be quiet. And, and uh, it's dangerous. First Sunday of the year. But um, Jesus is, is, is after something incredible in us and he's going to fill our cup. He's going to fill it, but he wants us to understand how to hold it steady. And he wants us to figure out how to keep it full. And it's all about him. John said it's of his fullness that we have all received. Now, most of us will probably say, oh, the best I've ever been, maybe I'm like that third glass, that glass in the middle. I'm three quarter full. Um, and I would have, could have stayed full if it hadn't been for my wife or, you know, or I could have stayed full if it hadn't been for, you know, the deacons or the pastors or, or the president or the governor, whatever, you know, somebody's always sloshing my cup, pastor. I understand um, but today I want you to ask an honest question and I, I don't want you to necessarily say, well, I think I'm at level one, two, three, four, five. You can do that. But I want to speak to you with this question in particular, and it's the most difficult question I'll ask in the whole series because it requires such brutal honesty. And if you don't answer honestly, you'll just be playing games until you get to a message where you can answer the question honestly. Here's the question. How empty are you? Are, are you bone dry and desolate? Or are you kind of moist from past visitations? But you've, I'm talking to people today that are willing to, I mean, I'm asking. I know it's not everybody, but I'm asking you this question. Are you willing to admit that you might be empty? Are you willing to admit that you're starting, at best, you're starting on your left, you know, my right, 
You say, Pastor, the fact of the matter is I'm on the chart that's behind the wall. Um, um, I, I, I've got issues. Let me talk to you about how we get empty. Now, first of all, I wanted to say it's not a sin to be empty. And it may not be a sin to be empty. It could be. We'll talk about that. Sometimes we are empty because of sin. Sometimes we're empty because of someone else's sin. Sometimes we're empty because we're living a righteous life and going through a tough place. It's sort of like storms. Um, let, me, let me say this. When I, when I ask, are you empty? I want you to understand, I know there are seasons of life. Um, a couple just starting out probably feels like they're under a curse financially. How am I going to send my children to college? How are we going to buy a home? How are we going to pay it off? How are we ever going to require, uh, retire? And it's because when you're starting out, you're usually at your lowest financial point. You're just getting started. You know, I was told that two can live more cheaply than one. And I found out that's a lie. Um, <laughs> What they were trying to say is that two together can live more cheaply than two apart. That's true. But um, you, you're, you're, when you're starting out, that's just a season. It's just tough. It's just tough. Um, and and we're, we're, in a, we're in a culture that's told you with easy credit, you can go out and buy everything. Your parents took 30 years to ac accumulate. And so you're in debt that you never seem to get out of. And there are seasons where you just feel empty. I, I, I know that. There are seasons you feel empty because God's not answering the prayer that you've been praying. And it's not because, we know this, it's not because he's not good. It's not because he doesn't answer prayer. It's just God insists because he is so good, he insists on answering his prayers in his time, not our time. And we don't like that. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not picking on you. I'm not saying shame on you for not liking that. I can tell. I better sit down. And, um, but the, the fact of the matter is God is just not going to answer prayers when we think he ought to all the time. Now, as you live long enough, um, I've, I've often said, you know, I, I've lived long enough that God has begun to vindicate himself. And what I mean by that is the longer you live and the longer you walk with God, the more God will show you, hey, I was right all along. But what you believe at 70 is not what you believe at 30. And, and um, you, you, you may be going through a tough time where God just has not said yes to the biggest request in your life. And I know that hurts. I'm, I've been there. I know that. I still have unanswered prayer in my life. Um, and I'm working on Ramona to just try to get her straight so we can get everything taken care of. Um, no, I'm teasing. Uh, if, if, uh, if the biggest problem I had was Ramona, I'd be in good shape, let me tell you. She is a godly woman. She's not my problem. But there have been times, it's just the season of life. So understand that you may be struggling with a glass that's not full just because of where you are in life. It doesn't mean there's sin in your life. It doesn't mean there's doubt and unbelief in your life. You know there's more. But loved ones, let me tell you, some, some of walking with God is, just needs time to develop in your life. You need time to mature 
And um, I don't expect the same thing from a 20-year-old disciple that I expect from a 30-year-old disciple. And I don't expect the same thing from a 30-year-old disciple that I do from a 50-year-old disciple. We ought to be growing. We ought to have seasons. And that's normal. It's why Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. That's the normal existence. That's normal existence. Sometimes we have an emptiness in our life because of circumstances. We're in a broken world. I've, I have, um, uh, you know, some, let, me, let me back up. I've said I believe that the, the nation is under judgment. And I believe to an extent the whole world's under judgment right now. And people say, well, it's not fair for God to, to judge the remnant with the wicked. Well, that's always happened. Now, there have always been moments when we were hidden in Goshen. There have always been moments where we have the promise in the Psalms where it said that he keeps us alive even in famine. I believe that in the, in the midst of rank judgment, I believe the people of God are, are kept and preserved. But we also know that some of us have died. We also know that some of us have lost our jobs. Some of us have lost loved ones. And it's not because God can't handle but so much pressure. It's because of circumstances. We're still in a broken world. We're still in a cursed world. We are redeemed. And, but you've got to understand, the last enemy to be conquered is death. The last enemy. There's going to be a lot of things we conquer before death is conquered. So sometimes it's just circumstances can I, because we're in a broken world. Can I tell you that sometimes you are in a mess because someone near you is out of the will of God? Captain, Paul says, do not set sail. God has told me that it's going to be trouble if we set sail. Wait the winter out. That was just good logic. But the captain was cutting edge. He said, I believe we can make one more leg of this trip. Because waiting all winter was commonplace in the Mediterranean. And it was time for them to stop. Don't do it. And Paul got into a storm. Listen to me, loved ones. That was so bad. Paul, or excuse me, Luke, in writing the book of Acts, said, the storm was so bad that all hope, I think that even meant his and Paul's, all hope that we should be saved was taken away. Uh, I want you to know you may sometimes find yourself so empty and so full of doubt and so full of fear. And when you get right down to the bottom of it, it's because of somebody close to you, not because of you. And that's why God had to send an angel to appear to Paul that night and say, Paul, don't be afraid. I'm so glad. I, sometime this year, just start reading through the Bible and make a list of every time an angel shows up or God shows up and begins his conversation with don't be afraid. Did you see the chosen Christmas special? Oh, I loved old Joseph. God bless him. What did your messenger say to you? The very first thing, Mary, don't be afraid. What did my messenger say to me? The very first thing he said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Loved ones, sometimes we need to realize that God is, is covering us when we don't even feel come covered. And it's not because we've done anything wrong, but somebody near us has. That's the case, not with Mary and Joseph, but the case with the, with the shipwreck. Um, uh, those, those poor men with Jonah, they were going under because the prophet had done wrong. 
And the prophet had enough spirituality to say, hey, if you throw me overboard, everything will be fine. Um, you know, there, there are, which leads to the next point. Well, let me give you another, for instance, sometimes we're empty because we're under attack and we need to take authority under the attack or we need to weather the attack or we need to let God give us faith. Loved ones, we, we have developed a theology that determines our spiritual status based on how much money we have or how comfortable we are and nothing could be further from the truth. Um, sometimes we're empty because of someone else. Sometimes we're empty because of circumstances. Sometimes we're empty because it's just a season of life that we're going through. But loved ones, I want to tell you, this is the scary part. Sometimes we're empty because we're out of God's will. God said, uh, through Moses to the people of Israel, he said, when you go into the land, he said, I'm sending you into a land that depends on the former and latter rains. It's not a land. One version says it's not a land of foot pumps. And I don't mean to repeat what I've taught before, but uh, in Egypt, they, they had spent that whole generation, 400 years, generations of Israelites had lived in a land where if a famine comes, you just man the pumps. And the Nile was so big, you could irrigate, you could irrigate the whole land from the Nile, even in times of famine. Those of us that have gone to Israel, you remember when we all had our baptism at the Jordan River? You can almost spit across the Jordan River, or at least throw a rock. Maybe you don't have a good spitter, but you could at least throw a rock across the Jordan River. That's not the kind of river that you irrigate a nation with. But the Nile was. And God said, I'm doing something for you that you are going to curse if you don't understand what's happening. He said, I'm taking you from a land where you can manipulate. See, some of you used to be in a situation where you could manipulate the situation. You can transfer some funds. But he said, I'm sending you to a place that depends on the former and latter rain. He said, the former rain's going to begin the process of the crops growing. The latter rain will bring them to maturity. And if you don't have the former and latter rain, you won't eat that year. And this is what he said. When it doesn't rain, ask me why it's not raining. See, we don't, we don't do that. We don't understand that. We want to change our confession, get a different version of the Bible, get somebody that's a faith teacher. We want, to, we want to change our mindset when God says, when it doesn't rain, ask me why it's not raining, because I'm the only one that knows why it's not raining. Somebody will tell you it's because your faith isn't strong enough or your confession's not right. But God said, when you got a problem with no rain, you need to ask me about it. And this is what he said. Then I will tell you why it's not raining. And it's so strong a probability <laughs> that is our fault that God says, I'll tell you why it's not raining. Then you can repent. <laughs> you know, he doesn't even seem to deal with the other options. Then you can repent. And then I'll send the rain. Then you'll give me praise. God says, you're going to have times of emptiness. Ask me why it's empty. Then, I, then I'll tell you why it's empty. Then you repent. Then I'll send the rain. And then you can give me praise and celebrate. You see, 
Naomi, uh, in the, the, the story of Ruth, Naomi and Elimelech, her, her husband, were people that lived in Bethlehem. And the Bible says they were in Bethlehem during the time of the judges. The time of the judges was up and down and up and down and up and down. And <clears throat> let, me, let me tell you what happened to this family. Now bear with me. Uh, I'm not going to talk today about Ruth 2, 3, and 4. That's, that's a fantastic story. It's a, it's, a little, it's a little hard for us to understand because the customs are so different. But it is a great story of redemption, a phenomenal story of redemption. But chapter 1 sets the stage that we tend to overlook a little bit. Um, now, we, we, we like chapter 1 because it's, you know, your God shall be my God, your people shall be my people. We use that in weddings. Um, which is, is great. That's a great, you know, concept to include in weddings. But I think we miss the bigger picture. And here's the bigger picture. Uh, Elimelech and, and Naomi lived in Bethlehem. And God had told the children of Israel something very special. Now, this is important. He said, when you get into your land, don't leave don't leave. Don't let the enemy take it from you. Don't sell it. Don't get rid of it. Don't leave. This is the land of promise. I believe that if Elimelech and Naomi had known what the future of Bethlehem held, I mean, wow, what an incredible story revolves around Bethlehem. If they, if, they had, if they had the ability to see where Bethlehem was going, they would have never left. But the Bible says that it was during the time of the judges. And you know during the time of the judges, there were all kinds of problems. It was like a roller coaster. You know, invasion, famine, sickness. Israel was like this. Israel was like this. And it was basically because the first generation of Israel that had left Egypt, died in the wilderness because of unbelief. The second generation inherited the land. They saw the mighty works of God. But the Bible says that that generation that saw God work died out. Now there's a third and a fourth and a fifth generation that had never seen the works of God. And that's why I want to tell every parent, every grandparent, every great-grandparent, one of the greatest sins that a church commits is to know God ourselves and not show that God to our children. Our children need to see what we've seen. We, don't, we, we shouldn't expect them to just believe what we've experienced. We need to lead them in experiencing it for themselves. But they didn't, and the result is they were in and out of sin. The rain would stop, and the, they would repent, and the rain would go. These cycles... Judges is to me the most depressing book in all of the Bible. And it was in that context that Elimelech and Naomi find themselves in Bethlehem and there was famine. Now let me tell you what they did. God said, when there's famine, call upon me and I'll tell you why there's famine. You can repent. That's what had been happening in the book of Judges. But Elimelech and Naomi said something like this. We have two boys. We know that they were gone for over 10 years. We have two boys, and I'm not going to stay in a situation where I can't take care of my boys. So this is what they did. In spite of what God said, they turned and they left Bethlehem. 
And they went all the way to a land that was cursed, the land of Moab. And they lived there. And during their time in Moab, Elimelech died. So Naomi is a widow. And apparently her boys were younger boys. They grew up and married Moabite women. And, um, um, but b- both of her sons died. One of her daughters-in-law went back to her Moabite family. Now, in fairness to her, Naomi insisted that she do it. She didn't desert Naomi, but Naomi said, look, I, 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 can't, I can't offer you anything else. I can never give you a child to marry. Go back to your family. And though it broke her heart, Orpah did that. She went back to her family. But Ruth said, no, I will stay with you. Your God will be my God. Your family will be my family. Your land will be my land. And Ruth stayed and she would not leave her mother-in-law. And that's a beautiful story. But something happened in chapter one. It says this, Naomi decided to leave Moab and go back to Bethlehem because she heard that the Lord had graciously visited the people of Bethlehem and given them food. That's exactly what God said he would do. When it doesn't rain, ask me why it's not raining. I'll tell you, you can repent, then I'll bless you again. Now the problem, and I'm not trying, it's always easier to point out people's problems, but Naomi and her husband made the tragic mistake of saying, I'm in a tough place. It doesn't appear that God's answering prayer. So I am going to go to a place where I can manage my business myself. She goes back to Bethlehem with her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And this is what was said in Ruth, in, in, uh, Ruth 1 verse 21. They looked at her and they said... Uh, they said, Are, Naomi, you know, is that you? She had been gone at least 10 years and she had gone from bad to worse. She had gone from famine to death. The loss of her sons, the loss of her husband, the loss of one of her daughters-in-law, not by death, but no longer part of the family. And this is what she said. She said, yes, it's me. You know, they had checked her driver's license, checked her, you know, birth certificate or whatever. And they said, this is Naomi, but we don't recognize you. And the indication is that her, at the very least, her countenance was so different. It may mean that physically she had withered and, and just was just a shell of the woman she used to be. But I will tell you this, loved ones, I'm not trying to make this um, metaphorical, but anytime we leave the place God assigns to us, it's going to show in our lives. It's going to show in our lives. And this is where Naomi turned this thing around. This is what she did right. If she had been like most folks, she'd have said, yeah, those dad blame Moabites, they don't know how to administer anything. There's no welfare in that country to take care of widows and 
you know, da 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 da. And God shouldn't have never ever. I would have never left Bethlehem in the first place if God had not let the famine come. You know, this, this, this. It's your fault. 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 I'm seeking the Lord. I'm seeking Him. God has shown me what is needed. It's not me. It's all of you. But this is where she became a woman that stood head and shoulders above everyone else. She said, this is why you don't recognize me. Verse 21, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Not the government has brought me back empty. Not the company has brought me back empty. Not my husband has brought me back empty. Not the church has brought me back empty. Not the pastor has brought me back empty. Or pastor, not the congregation has brought me back empty. She says, God has brought me back empty. She said, we were in a place of famine and I didn't even realize that we were full in the famine. We were covered in the promise of God. God, God didn't say we were going under. He said, we're getting aligned. He said, we're getting adjusted. It's like that song I talked about last week. Usually when we think the world is falling apart, it's just falling into place. <laughs> Remember Glenn? I went into Glenn's office, I don't know, 20, 25 years ago. And I said, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening. I said, Glenn, the whole world's falling apart. And I went to a meeting to find out that I misunderstood every single thing that was happening. And I thought I was about to lose my job. I was actually about to get a raise and be blessed. But I was convinced just a few minutes earlier, the whole world is falling apart. No, things were falling into place. Here's a woman that had to leave because there was famine, there was no food. But she said, you know, I was really full the whole time. Loved ones, whenever God is on your side, you're never empty. Not really. Now, you may be empty looking at the glass, but she said, I went out full and God has brought me back, but I'm empty. She said, why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? You, you, you know what she was saying? And this is, this is big. She stood there in front of people that had not seen her in a decade or longer. And she said, you know, I left and was convinced I had every reason to leave. I went to Moab, which was a land under a curse, and thought I could handle better in the land of cursing than I could in the land of blessing. She said, I didn't know that God always blesses even in times of emptiness. And I went and lost everything that I did have. And God has brought me back empty. Now, loved ones, this is what I want to ask you today. Is it possible that the emptiness you're wrestling with right now, is it possible that it's because you've left the land God brought you to? I'm not talking about a church or a town or a political party or a whatever. I, I'm, I'm, I'm talking, it's just so general. It could be a dozen things. But I, I, I want to ask you this question because I've, I've had to ask this question myself. The last two years have been devastating. 
I, I think I'm generally an optimist, but I want to tell you, I've had a rough couple of years. Things that I'd never talked to you about. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm God's man of faith and power. I'm not allowed to talk about <laughs> these struggles. I'm, I'm, I'm teasing, of course. But I want to tell you, it, it, there have been moments I wanted to quit. And now you say, oh, pastor, that happens all the time. Yeah, there's always been times I thought, yeah, you know, I could, I could do better, you know, than ministry. I need to do this, that, or the other. But I'm, I usually get over it in about 15, 20 minutes. Uh, it, it's a rare thing for me to go to bed at night carrying the disgust that tried to infiltrate my life during the day. But I want to tell you, in the last, the last two years, the last few years is the only time that I seriously said I need to find a way out. Now that, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not there. And please don't say, Pastor, are you about to, you know, retire? No, no, no. No, I'm too good looking to retire. That's not, that's not, that's not even remotely what I'm talking about. But I want to tell you, in, in all seriousness, this has been an incredibly tough year. Um, I know that death is the way of life, but some of us have just known death accelerated. Some of us have known death of people that it wasn't their time to die from our perspective. Some of us have said, I've never had these thoughts cross my mind in 50 years of serving the Lord. It's never crossed my mind. Loved ones, um, I, I, I know that when we get past that, we don't like to admit that. And I, I promise you, my, my mental health is good. My attitude is good. I'm excited about what God is going to do. I, I'm not in that struggle right now. But I want to tell you, there have been a lot of struggles that we've been through the last couple of years. And some of us are still in those struggles. Some of us are not in the struggle, but it's not that we've resolved it. We've just walked away from it. And I'm asking you, where are you? You say, well, pastor, I don't know. I'm more to the left than I am to the right. That's okay, because we're all going to be at the right by the end of the year. Because, because, we're, because we're going to see, by way of revelation, our standing with the Lord. That's, I'm not worried if you're on the right or the left. Even the far right or the far left. What I'm concerned about is if you're in an empty spot, who are you blaming for your cup being empty? What do you really believe has caused there to be an emptiness in your life? The scary thing is that some will say, well, it's just, it's a season, Pastor. It's, this is the first year of a new business in a time of inflation. This business is struggling. That's just normal, but it's going to get better. That's good. That's good. Hang in there. Hang in there. Um, or you might say, well, I've been done wrong by somebody, but it's not going to defeat me. It's not going to crush me. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to stay full in the Lord, even though people have really rattled my glass. 
the thing that has me on my face before God at night is that I know there are some of us that have walked away either from the church or from faith in general or walked away from people, our families, and we've mistakenly said, I can make this on my own. I don't need you. I don't need her. I don't need him. And you, you know, that's why you can go on the internet and there are these wonderful, wonderful slogans, things like, I love Jesus, but I hate religion. I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. And loved ones, we, we, we have taken a critical step into Moab. And we're trying to deconstruct and then reconstruct the church. We're saying the church has failed. And I'm not talking about Christian life. I'm talking about just the church in general. And, and loved ones, I need somebody that, who loves you is telling you, I love you enough to tell you, you are talking from Moab. You have walked away from fullness and you are walking into a system that produces nothing but death. And if we're going to be full, if, if you don't change, we will come to the end of the year and you'll say, well, that was a waste of time. I'm not any more full than I was before. And it's because you're trying to fill up in Moab. And there's never fullness in Moab. There's never fullness in a life that walks away from the land of promise. You see, the problem is that because God doesn't operate on our timeline, we're saying, I'll try somebody else's timeline. But the fact of the matter is, Naomi looked back on the most troublesome days she had known. The days of the judges were horrible times. She lived in the middle of that, trying to raise two boys. And in the midst of the most difficult time, she came to the realization, I was full all along. I was full all along. And I made the foolish mistake of thinking there was another better place to get full. God said to the children of Israel when they were in the wilderness, he says, you were so worried that I wouldn't take care of your children that I want you to know you're going to die and I'll be the one who takes care of your children. I know what it's like to go to Moab. I didn't intend on staying there. I just had a two-day reservation. <laughs> but Moab has a very seductive way of saying, well, God hasn't given you what you need, so let us provide something different. Let us provide something better. And she lost. I, I, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying if you've gone to Moab, you're gonna, your children are going to die and you're going to be a widow or a widower. That, that would be so manipulative. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying this. Moab never preserves what you commit to Moab. But God always preserves what you commit to Him. He said, I am persuaded, Paul, that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him. Loved ones, I want you to know you think you're empty, but you're really full. Don't leave. Don't leave the faith. Don't leave orthodox doctrine. Don't leave the family of believers. 
Don't do that because you'll be broken. You'll be heartbroken because Moab does nothing but disappoint. It does nothing but disappoint. But God says, stay in Bethlehem. Don't blame your wife. Don't blame your husband. Don't blame your parents. Don't blame your children. Don't blame your church. Don't blame your faith. And it stinks, but we can't even blame the government. Oh, there's plenty we can blame them for, but government can't make me empty. Oh, the government can take my money through taxation. The government can restrict my, they can take my freedoms through laws. And, oh, there's a lot of stuff that can be taken. But the amazing thing is that the more the enemy takes, the more full I become. In the early days of Israel's history as a nation, when they were in Egypt, the Bible says that the Egyptians were worried about Israel growing. God was blessing them so much that God, uh, that, that Egypt said, we're going to take all the male babies. Well, well, before they said that, they said this, we are going to crush them with labor. We are going to give them an oppressive system that will take the very spirit out of them. And this is what the, the way the Living Bible puts it. It says, but the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. Let me tell you what God has put in you. He's put in you a DNA that the more you are afflicted, the more you face difficulty, the more you will multiply and grow. You say, well, that sounds good. Why doesn't he do it? He is. That's not the problem. The problem is that we don't see it. We don't see it. And we think if we could just get to Moab, you say, I don't think like that. It's the same thing the children of Israel did. Oh, at least in Egypt, we had enough graves to bury everybody. At least in Egypt, we could sit down by the Nile and have a feast on leeks and onions. No, no, no. Moab suddenly looks beautiful, like Egypt suddenly looks beautiful when God is bringing you into a land of provision and a land of blessing. The problem is he shakes everything to pieces so that only the unshakable will remain. Somebody asked me the other day, how long is this shaking going to last? I said, until there's nothing shakable. How long you reckon that'll be? Oh, I figure we'll get it all figured out about the time Jesus comes. <laughs> Can I tell you, in spite of the letter that you got that told you how much money you owe, can I tell you that you're still full? In spite of the medical report, can I tell you you're still full? In spite of the rebellion on the part of a family member, you're still full? In spite of the difficulty and trouble, in spite of the no's and closed doors to your prayers, can I tell you that you're still full? You say, how can you say that? I don't have what I want. Well, but do you understand? It's being poured out. It may not have hit your glass yet, but it's being poured out. 
John said, of his grace we have received. Now that's the question I want to leave you with. Are you empty? And if so, why are you empty? If you're in a famine and it hasn't rained, why has it not rained? If it's someone else's fault, just draw close. If, if it's just a season, draw close. If it's, if it's just testing, draw close. Somebody told me something. I, I won't say their name because I don't know if I have permission to share it. But they were talking about why, you know, I'm going through such a time of testing. Why isn't God speaking? And their spouse says, whenever you take a test, the teacher never talks. Okay, let's say there's a reason for your emptiness. What do I do, Pastor? Well, you don't go to Moab, I can tell you that. You draw close. You put your roots down in the land. You say, I believe the Bible. I believe the Scripture. I believe the principles that the church is built upon. I believe that there's more fellowship in a body of broken believers than there will ever be in Moab. You say, but... Pastor, I think maybe it's my fault. I think I'm empty because of what I've done or what I haven't done. What do you do? You repent. You repent. Now, I heard a sermon the other day which was absolutely rotten. Good, good man. And I know his heart, I know he loves the Lord probably more than I do, but his theology was rotten. He said, God's not worried about your mistakes. Just look at all that God does because of our mistakes. And, and he used Naomi as an example. He said, Ruth would have never been the grandmother of David if she hadn't left the land and done what she wasn't supposed to do. And I got kind of livid because that's what's crept into the church. This attitude of it doesn't matter what I do or don't do because God will bless it anyway. Let me tell you something, loved ones. God doesn't bless us because of our rebellion. God blesses us in spite of our rebellion. God's not limited in getting Ruth to Israel, doing it through someone's failure. I, I'm so thankful that he can use that. But we've got to get away from this attitude that says, oh, my, me leaving and going back to Moab is no big thing. God can bless it and use it. God can bless it and use it and he can also make a donkey talk. God can do whatever he wants to do. But I will guarantee you, I've just found this in my own life. God, God has blessed me when I've disobeyed him. But I had to learn he wasn't blessing me because I disobeyed him. He blessed me even though I disobeyed him. And I've always believed that what God did for me in my disobedience is nothing compared to what he would have done if I'd walked in obedience. Isaiah said, oh, that you had hearkened to my commandments. Then you would have had peace like a river. 
and righteousness like the waves of the sea. Isaiah was saying, if you'd obeyed God, and he'd been promising them peace and righteousness. He said, and God is going to help you. But if you had just obeyed him to start with, you'd have peace unimaginable. No, God is, God is sovereign. God is amazing. And God is the great redeemer. God can bring good out of your bad, but God will bring more good out of your good if you'll obey him. Okay, I, I'm, I'm done. Um, I, I, I just need, to, I need to, to hand it off to you. I need to hand it off to you. Uh, I say I'm done. I, I just lied. So forgive me. There, there, is, there is a scripture. I tell you what, I'll meet you halfway. I'll just tell a half truth. There's a scripture in Deuteronomy. I think it's in your notes. Okay, listen. This is what that scripture says. God tells Israel when they go into the land, he said you have... Uh, Mount Ebal, Mount Gerizim. He said, one's a mount of blessing, one's a mount of cursing. And what that was about when they, were, when they were ratifying covenant, they walked through between these two mountains. There were leaders on each side, on each mountain. One was the mountain of blessing, one was the mountain of cursing. And as they walked through this mountain, uh, the, the leaders called out the blessing to those that would obey the Lord. If you will do this, God will bless you. And God will watch over you and God will sustain you. And the role of the people was to look at those leaders and say, amen, which was a way of saying, yes, we will live under that. We agree. And we're really good at that. We Pentecostals especially, we're really good at that. But they had the amount of cursing and there were leaders that said, but if you disobey God, if you step out of his will, if you do this evil thing or you do that evil thing, then God will curse your actions until you turn back to him. And you know what they had to do? They had to say, no, we resist you in the name of Jesus. We will not live under anything negative. The word is working mightily in me and we're only taking yay and amen. No, 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 no weapon formed against me shall prosper. God wouldn't have let them in the land. You know what they had to say to that? They had to say, amen. You see, whether you like it or not, you are living in fellowship with a God that says, if you do this, I will bless you. But I want you to know I love you so much that if you live this way, I will curse you. And the curse will overtake you until you turn and come back to your senses. Don't listen to teachers that tell you that we live in a, under a grace that says we never need to take into account our sin or our failure. Understand this, God loves you so much. It's hard for us to understand, but it's like God saying, you know what? I will box your ears if you don't listen to me. I'll get your attention somehow because I love you so much that I'm gonna tell you when you're wrong and you've gotta admit that you're wrong and you've gotta get your butt out of Moab and come back to where I placed you. Now I'm through and that's the truth. <laughs>